All right. Well, before we, uh, before we begin, and, and I think it's really important that just to note, if you're watching this at home on, on your computer or, or wherever you're watching this from, I think it's important that we always just pause and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us. I really believe that we cannot discern or understand any spiritual truths that are different from things that we already might believe unless the Holy Spirit comes and leads us through that. The filling of the Holy Spirit is absolutely critical in interpreting Scripture. I, I think it's the most important thing. And so I think it's vitally important. And this is why I've always resisted recording the messages. I really believe that for people that are just clicking on, on the link at home, if they're in a different headspace, if they haven't come and worshipped first, if they haven't been in community first, to just receive a message that's sort of out of context and without that filling, it's just so futile. So why don't we just pause everyone in this room and also, if you're at home online, just pause. Let's just spend a minute and ask the Holy Spirit to fill us, to give us eyes to see and ears to hear. His word is alive, but we need to be receptive to that. So let's just individually pray right now. Yeah, God, we, uh, we ask that you would fill us with your spirit, God. God, I pray that we would not simply have carnal minds, Jesus, but that we would have spiritual eyes, God. That we would have deep spiritual understanding, God. God, you say that your word is a, is a double-edged sword, that it, that it cuts away untruth and sets us free from from lies, God. I, I pray that, and God, in this place that we would experience that. Thank you for your word, Lord. We love you. Amen. Well, I, when I first came to Willow Park Church, I was a care group leader for three years, and, uh, and we used to do this thing called the mall hunt, and this was really a, a good time. This is how it worked, is the leaders would go to Orchard Park, and we would all try to dress up so that when all of our kids came, they would maybe see us but not recognize us. If they approached you, then you had to say who you were, but what we were trying to do is to try to really blend in or be somebody else entirely. Well, I decided to go way too far, as I did in the 90s, and I dressed up as a woman, and I was really convincing. Melissa helped me. I shaved my legs. I wore a dress. I had the full wig. I was really convincing. And we went to Orchard Park, and I was absolutely killing it. Nobody approached me at all. I'll tell you what, none of my boys knew who I was. And we were just laughing at the end of the night, and me and Melissa are walking out of the doors toward my car in the parking lot, and I'm just talking to her. So obviously I'm a person who looks much like a woman with a voice that's not very uh, womanly. And these dudes, this is what I hear. I hear them say, hey, that chick's a man. That's what I heard. And then I'll, I look behind me, and all these guys were staring at me. And then I'm like, oh, no. And I'm wearing high heels. And so this is difficult. So I open the door, and I just start ripping it across the parking lot. And I look behind me, and they were angry. Like, they were ready to fight me. Like, they were, like, chasing me and Melissa out of the mall. And we get to the car, and I get in it, and it's the trusty Dodge Omni. So praise the Lord. It's a real beauty of a vehicle, and it's a safe haven. I get in there, and these guys are surrounding the car like they wanted to kill me. I was terrified. And I'll tell you what, 
This gave me a little glimpse into the hate and abuse that many people live with. Any sort of variation on these things, and people have an emotional reaction, don't they? And today we're going to be studying gender. And for some of you, you're quite interested in this topic simply because it's become quite an issue in today's world. And for others of you, you're not just interested. This is the defining issue in your life. Like way more than anything else, maybe you have a loved one or a friend or you yourself struggle with gender identity. This is the question that you have for God. If you, had, if you had the chance to stand before God and give one question and he were to audibly respond, this is the one because it's caused you the most questions, confusion and hurt. And so we're just going to get right into it. This has become a really big deal in the last decade. This is the cover of Time magazine. And what they're describing this era right now, they're describing it as the transgender tipping point. And they're not just calling it a, a tipping point where people are, 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 um, are exploring gender. They're calling it the next human rights issue. Like it's become a much bigger deal. This is the Vogue magazine. And they've had the first ever transgender model. And they're claiming that the whole nature of beauty and sexuality is shifting right before our very eyes. National Geographic did a couple of covers speaking about gender and the gender revolution. And that girl there on the left has said this. She said, the best part about being a girl is that she doesn't have to pretend to be a boy anymore. See, this is a massive shift in our society, isn't it? Bruce... Jenner was considered to be the greatest athlete. The greatest athlete award, basically, from public opinion, went to the person who won the decathlon at the Olympics. And so Bruce Jenner, before everybody's eyes, transitioned into a woman called Caitlin and controversial, controversially won the prestigious ESPY award, which is an award for courage. And there's a new TV show right now on TLC about transgender girl struggling with her identity. It's called I Am Jazz. And there's all sorts of dialogue on that show. They're talking to her, her siblings and her parents. And this is sort of a big question and a big deba debate right now. In Australia, it's become a big issue in the church where they just had their first pastor who has transitioned from a man to a woman while actively being the pastor. And the New York Times just did an article on Forefront Church in Brooklyn the pastor's father is a man named Paul Williams, and he himself um, is a pastor and the chairman of, of their denomination. And he just came out as a trans woman named Paula Williams. And his son is, is supporting it, and the church is supporting it. And, and this has become a really big thing in a lot of our cities. And there's a lot of confusion around the issue. Obama issued gender, uh, transgender bathrooms in response to public demand, and Trump has since rescinded it. There's been a lot of accusations either way. There's been lots of rhetoric used. But it's safe to say that we don't have a, a clear theology on this issue. If I were to go to 10 of you and ask you for your opinion and ask what the heart of God is or what, what Scripture says, we would have 10 very different responses. And I think it's important that as a church, as society shifts, that we sort of just take a breath and say, okay, like, where do we stand on this? Where's the church at? And I really believe that it all starts with understanding. And so I'm going to be quoting a lot of studies for you today. And I think it's really important that you recognize that 
that I didn't cherry pick studies. I didn't go and, and find studies can say a lot of things on either direction. So I made sure that the information presented um, has been peer reviewed and also it's been published. And I've also gotten a lot of information from places that have influenced me a lot. The teachings of John Tyson and Paul Dirks from Apologetics Canada, Michael Ramsden from Ravi Zacharias Ministries. A lot of these people have informed a lot of these thoughts and have been very, very helpful. But I also think it's good to just find true understanding. I know a lot of transgender kids, an awful lot, and I have spoken to them. And I have spoken to other people, and I think it's important that, that we as a church, if, if God is going to give us a heart, then we have to have understanding. I'd, want, I'd like you to see this spoken word um, video right now from a girl who I believe puts it very well. Okay, check this out. Today my skin doesn't fit me. Nothing is really wrong, it just feels like a shirt when the shoulders are a little too small. Like pants, cut a little too short, the fabric pulls tight in all the wrong places and I keep trying to stretch it out but I can't, can't, can't get my body inside it. Maybe I shouldn't be trying to wear this at all. Maybe some part of me needs to be cut away and sewn up again. Maybe then I'd feel comfortable in this skin. Get me Taylor. Tear out the seams and remake me into something the world can understand. I am so tired of being told I am not real when I'm standing in front of you. So tired of having to explain myself when you will never need to. Note to self. Making yourself visible does not mean you will be seen. You will tell people your correct gender pronoun over and over and over until you wonder if you are speaking the right language because it seems like they can't understand you. These sheets fall from their mouths like dropped stitches. Mistakes in a pattern they don't even realize they are following. I am so tired of hearing apologies. Yes, I know. You have known me a long time. Yes. I know, you are trying. Yes, I know, my gender is hard for you to remember. Believe me, I know. I have spent my whole life forgetting myself, fitting myself into boxes, bending over backwards for someone else's standards, shrinking myself a size too small, and pretending it felt right. This is not an alteration. This is mending. I am not becoming someone else. After all these years of reflection, I want to look in the mirror and see myself. So what we are speaking about is is gender dysphoria, and I, I think that we could all just sense the tension and just sense the emotion and the pain and and it, it's really important to understand what gender dysphoria is. Dysphoria is simply a deep dissatisfaction with something. A real deep down dissatisfaction with the way that things are. And gender dysphoria is this feeling that their gender doesn't match their sex. That is their anatomy and chromosomes. And it's very painful. Dysphoria is the opposite of euphoria, by the way. 
that, that really puts it into some clarity what that word means. Euphoria is a feeling of intense excitement or happiness. That's what euphoria is, like intense happiness, excitement. So dysphoria is intense anxiety and intense unhappiness. That's what it is. And so gender dysphoria is very difficult because we define ourselves in this culture by our gender. When we're born, it's the first question. It's like, what is it, a boy or a girl? And then as soon as the gender is, is said, all of a sudden there comes with it all of these expectations of who that person will become. So if it's a boy, it's like, all right, we're going to be able to play football, go camping, build stuff, work on my car. And if it's a girl, it's like, well, we can go shopping. We can play dress up and dolls. And you see how from the very beginning, this idea of gender is the first thing that we identify as. And when you meet somebody, your brain first determines their gender. And then it then moves into one of two places as far as stereotypes go as to who that person will be. So gender is by far the biggest identifier of who we are. So gender dysphoria is so troubling. And some people feel like they just don't fit within the definitions of their gender, and they feel more comfortable within the definitions of the other gender. When somebody decides to identify as a different gender than what their sex is, that's known as being transgender. So you've, you've chosen a different gender than your birth sex. And... Here is something that I, I, I've never understood is that sometimes the transgender conversation is lumped in with the LGBTQ conversation, and I do not believe that it should be at all. See, this is not who you want to go to bed with. This is who you want to go to bed as. This has nothing to do with sexuality. This has everything to do with identity. And most people feel gender dysphoria, by the way. Probably everyone in this room has felt gender dysphoria. Psychologists would say that at between the ages of two and five, when you first sort of start to understand what gender is, there's confusion in nearly everybody at some stage. They also say that again before puberty, there's another bit of gender dysphoria for nearly everybody, where there's just like trying to fit in and, okay, what, so that, that's how I look. But there's that trait about the other gender that I like, but I don't fit into that. Okay, so then there's some dysphoria in all of us, but this is not what we're talking about. Mark Yarhouse has written a great book on this topic, by the way. This is, this is a great book, Understanding Gender Dysphoria, and I highly recommend it. He's the prominent voice on this topic, and here's what he has to say. He says, when a person feels ongoing gender incongruence, and this causes them deep, prolonged impairment they meet the criteria for diagnosis with gender dysphoria. This is not just like a fleeting thing. It's not just, even if it's long-lasting, but it's, it's very minor. That's not gender dysphoria. It's ongoing and causes deep impairment. That's what gender dysphoria is, to meet the clinical definition of gender dysphoria. And there's a huge misunderstanding. We hear this all the time on social media. Facebook is so, is so good at this, just horrible stereotypes. I see this all the time. It's, the people will say this. You know what? They'll say, if you have a penis, act like a man. And then all of these, all, and then it's just like the comments are just full of vitriol and negativity. See, the issue is not about somebody's sex. That's not what we're speaking about here. Mark Yarhouse says this. When we talk about somebody's sex, we are talking about their physical and biological dimensions, chromosomes, gonads, sexual anatomy, and secondary sexual characteristics. 
Sex is frequently distinguished from gender. Gender refers to psychological, social, and cultural aspects of being male or female. Does that make sense? So most transgender people are just looking for congruence. That's what they're looking for, to stop acting, to be themselves. I think the main problem is this, is that we have a really narrow definition of gender. Many of our stereotypes have come from the Industrial Revolution. What happened in the Industrial Revolution was that men left the homes, and this was new. And they all of a sudden did their manly things at their jobs. And the women stayed at home and became quite domesticated. And the stereotyping and the roles really began the way that we view them today in earnest. That's when they began, was during that revolution. For men, we say you're manly, aggressive, You know, manly guys drink whiskey or beer, grow body hair, watch MMA, fix things, provide for the family, repress emotions. These are some manly stereotypes. For women, very different stereotypes emerged. Passive, paint and journal. Go to women's retreat and sit in circles and hold hands and cry. Emotional. These are some really common stereotypes that we have of of what it looks like to be a man and what it looks like to be a woman and they're just they're they're narrower than they have ever been and these gender roles are so crippling and the research has shown that in the last 20 years it has gotten way more intense with the onset of pornography what it has done is it, it has objectified women and it has made beauty so narrowly defined that 95% of women hate their bodies So, so many girls feel disassociated with the feminine body and beauty. This idea of womanhood, they feel like they can never achieve. Lisa Lippman did a study in 2017, and she found that gender dysphoria in females was nearly non-existent 20 years ago. Almost none 20 years ago, before the onset of porn on the internet. But right now, it has gone absolutely crazy. Those who identify as transgender has seen a 20 times increase in the last eight years. That's staggering. A doubling of any behavior in society would be considered incredible. If it went up two times, researchers would say, oh my goodness, what's going on here? If it went up three times, this would be massive. But 20 times... This is shocking, and the biggest increase is amongst females. These girls feel like outcasts, and they feel like nobody understands them, and, and they don't feel like they fit anywhere, and they find acceptance and an understanding ear in the transgender community. You see, people will find community where their greatest need is accepted, At the end of the day, that's the the truth for each one of us. And many people with gender dysphoria find acceptance in communities on the internet. And and there's there's many Facebook groups that will give labels to their specific dysphoria. And what that gives these girls is somebody that understands, but it also gives them an identity that they so badly want. Even though... It might feel like reaching, and even though it's coming from people that are just in survival mode themselves, this is where it's coming from. But the issue is that in order to maintain these relationships, really tough decisions have to be made at puberty for these kids. 
in order to stop breast growth in females or in males to stop hair growth, voice change, shoulder production. They're forced to take drugs that stop puberty called Lupron, which is very strong. It's used as an alternative to chemotherapy. It's it's very, very strong. And after this, they need to take cross-sex hormones if they want to continue down this path. And these have to be used for the rest of their lives. For girls, it means permanent body hair. Many other changes. Boys take female hormones and they grow breasts as a result. And, And these are permanent changes. And the problem is that it sterilizes these kids and they can't have children. And these are young kids that are making decisions that affect their futures, and it's really, really scary. They're making huge decisions at this really young age. You see, every one of us in this room, at that age, after you sort of don't identify with your family anymore, which is around 11, 12, or 13, you have to find your own identity. And these are the kids that we're speaking about, and they're making long-term changes But every study ever done shows this. It's called desistance. This is incredibly important. It's a vanishing of gender dysphoria after puberty. And they found that the vast majority of kids experience desistance. In other words, the gender dysphoria disappears once puberty comes. Davida Singh, who's a Canadian doctor, did a large study and found that 86.4% of her gender dysphoric kids experience desistance. Every study ever done has found that over 80% of kids no longer identify as gender dysphoric after puberty. But these kids at this early age are making massive decisions that they don't see the ramifications for in the future. And it does not turn out good in general. They do not find the peace and rest that they desperately desire. They find a 41% rate of, of suicidality that's either attempts or completions, 41% in that community versus a 4% of the general society. 41%. I want you to imagine how high that number is. The best quality studies on this topic have all been done very recently, and they've all been done in, in Nordic countries because that's where they have the best research and they actually have the, the, the most amount of ability to get these, this sort of information. There was a study by Ashman in 2011, and it was 1,300 people, so it was a really, really big study. They took cross-sex hormones, and 18 years later on their follow-up, they found a 5.7 times suicide rate and 13 times higher drug-related deaths. Those numbers are staggeringly high. There's a lady named Celia Desney, and she is a, a transgender advocate, and she did a study was very surprised with her findings. She found that the suicide rate is 19 times higher for people that transition than the general public. These are big numbers. And Adams did a study in 2017. He looked at every single study done, and he found that the suicide rate was 36%, but after transition, it climbed to 40%. And what he found was that, that after transition, there was a massive spike in suicide rate and drug abuse. And the reason for that is that, it, is that they were hoping so badly to find resolution to their dysphoria. They were trying so hard to think that if things just changed, that their life would change. But once they realized that it wouldn't, their hope would be gone. And now they lost that hope. 
And, and when I read these things, like my heart breaks because these aren't just stats or this just isn't a group of people. These are our kids, you know, like these are our kids. These are people that we know and love. Like these are beautiful people. And this absolutely breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. These are the most vulnerable people in the world. When we were in L.A., we did the nails and, and hair of this man. He was identifying as a woman, and, and he just sat there, and he just wept the whole time. And I, and I came up, and I just prayed. And he said, man, and I like, I, I like grabbed his hand, and he said, I haven't been touched in years. I brought him a hot chocolate, and he just completely lost his mind. And he said, you're a pastor. And I said, yeah. He says, man. This is not what I was expecting. See, we need to be a place of radical acceptance. Unbelievable acceptance. We need to fight for them and show them compassion. We need to be that sort of a people. See, for these lovely, amazing people, this is the biggest struggle in their life. They say right now about 1 in 5,000 people are born intersex, which means both genders are, are there, or there might be um, incomplete sex organs or the development of both. And so that means in Kelowna, that means there's about 30 people walking around that that, that was their, their reality at birth. And some people, as they sort of do brain studies upon them, they find that their brains more closely resemble the behavior and, and neural pathways of somebody of an opposite gender, and they don't even know why. They found that trauma in late-stage pregnancy, when the hormones are being doled out, that this radically changes somebody's behavior in life. They also find that when a child is abused, the brain reacts in a really protective manner, and our brains release dopamine and, and epinephrine. And what happens with that is that our body then, as a result of this, that goes to the reward centers, and it associates that reward with that act. So when somebody looks at pornography, there's a massive rush of dopamine to the frontal cortex. The same thing when you use cocaine. And that's why pornography is addictive. And the the brain attaches that reward to that thing. And what happens is with these kids is that the brain attaches that reward to this complete perversion of sexuality and gender. And they just have no idea what to do after that. There's so many confusing thoughts. A study in the U.S. in the 90s by the American Mental Health Association found that 80% of transgender females and 87% of male transgenders were sexually abused. This is crazy. This is really important because these are the most traumatized people in our society and our response needs to be this without question. It is, we love you. You're accepted here. Come and be a part of our family. Sometimes we have this stupid idea that you need to, to first believe before you belong. And that's such a load of garbage. I don't see that in Scripture. No, no, no. You can belong and then you can believe later. Or you can belong for as long as it takes. It's I love you. I will not judge you and I will fight for you. This is what we see in Scripture. Yarhouse says, if you want a person with transgender dysphoria, or sorry, gender dysphoria, to choose a path from all their options that seems more redemptive, they need to be a part of that redemptive community. 
You see, everyone is welcome here. We're all brothers and sisters. Remember from last week's message, if you missed it, go and listen to it. When Jesus saw that Jewish woman with the dead son, his heart went out to her, this Greek word splenchizomai, which means from the womb. That's the word. It means, I love you like you're my own child. His acceptance for her, this Jewish woman who was not a follower of Jesus, was his heart went out as a father. Paul says that to treat everyone as though they're the people that Christ died for. That our response as the church is splenchizomai. It is, I love you like you're my brother or sister. Oh, we're called not to judge. And so it just frees us to love everybody without even worrying about it. We can just be reckless in our love. Absolutely crazy with our love. Remember that they called Jesus a drunkard. Remember what they called him? Because he loved everybody and he was so proud of it. This is who we get to be. End of the story that community is welcome with us. It's just that simple. If anybody would be excluded from their sin, there would not be one person in this community, not even one. You may be asking me, though, what about me personally? I want to follow Jesus, and I feel dysphoria. What should I do personally? Not my neighbor or even my children or anyone else but me like what should i do see if we're choosing to follow christ then we are making a radical decision it's a very different posture than the rest of the world the rest of the world finds their identity and self-identifies as a follower of jesus this is what we do we come to god and we say here i am who am i it's the whole symbol of baptism it's laying down your life it's saying i'm dead to who i was and i'm coming to life you tell me who i am Show me, God, who I am. Show me. The prophet Isaiah walked around barefoot and naked for three years. Did you know that? Isaiah, naked for three years. This was a prophetic statement saying this is the posture that we come to God with. It is I am naked. I don't have an identity. I'm not wearing anything. I'm not deciding who I am. You show me who I am. It's totally different. Jesus says this, that if you want to find your life, you must lose it. If you want to find your life, you must say, I'm not going to self-identify. You show me who I am. So we come to him naked. Colossians 3 says, for you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You died. You're hidden with Christ. And then it says, when Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will will appear with him in glory. That word life is zoe, which means fullness of life. It says when Christ, he is your life, zoe, fullness of life. You will find your identity completely in him. You become your true self before the foundations of the world God made you. Did you know that? Before the foundations of anything, before there was any physical creation, there was you with an identity and a unique name that only you have. And then when you were conceived, the creator knit you together in your mother's womb. (laughs) He gave you identity before anything and a name. That name is really important because the name that he gave you signifies your true identity. And we each have that. And when we find who we are in him, when we lay down our lives, oh, we are alive We have a unique name. Blaise Pascal said this, we can only truly find ourselves in Christ. 
You see, identity comes from God. And some guys are very feminine or passive or emotional or gentle and say, I don't really fit in with this idea of being male. We have these debilitating stereotypes of manhood. And some girls, you think, you know what? I've always felt like a tomboy. I've never felt like a girly girl. I've never felt like the skin fits me. It's because we have these tiny, narrow definitions of what it looks like to be a woman. But these variations of gender role can be celebrated and need to be celebrated in the church. Am I right? Manhood can look many different ways, and so can womanhood. Gender is amazing, but it's been hijacked. But by creation, it's intentional and it is beautiful. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 19. He said, haven't you read that at the beginning the creator made them male and female? We've each been assigned gender from our creator, and it's meant to be life-giving and freeing and liberating and beautiful. It can be diverse, and it never makes people feel ugly or feel full of shame. This is why Mark Yarhouse says this. He says, I see the value in encouraging individuals who experience gender dysphoria to keep with their birth sex. And, and I would agree that when we come to God, he's never going to speak identity to us counter to what he says in his word. He said he's made us male and female. It's intentional. It's beautiful. He wants us to be free in that, and he wants us to go with that. All fullness of life is found in Christ, so we get to surrender to him. And there's so much hope for you, even if this is a huge struggle for you. Listen to what Isaiah says. He says, this is crazy. He says, for the eunuch who keeps my commands, you're thinking, wait, what? For the eunuch who keeps my commands, I will give him an everlasting name. This is God speaking. For the eunuch. A eunuch is somebody who is intersex. Jesus says in Matthew 19 that some people are born eunuch and some people are made eunuch. Jesus says, I believe it's 19 verse 12. He says, some are born, some are made. They're intersex. Either way, God says, I will give you an everlasting name. He's speaking about identity. He's saying, you may be born with struggles that other people will never understand, but you follow me and I will give you an identity that is everlasting and it is full of life and beautiful. Your challenges may seem enormous, but he is for us. Revelation 21 says, I will make all things new. That he is coming and this is the gospel, is it not? This is the good news that he comes and restores us, whoa, and renews us, and changes us. This is the good news, renews our mind. So like Isaiah, we come to the Father naked, and we ask him who we are. We say, who am I? You show me. Shall I use the other mic? Ugh, is that going to go through the camera? rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light he is saying just simply come to me and trust me you know what so many things in life don't make sense to our human mind 
And we're just like, you know what? I don't, I don't feel like I fit, God. I feel this dysphoria in my life as far as my gender and about other things in my life. And he says, come to me and I will give you complete rest. And if this is you, you need to hear me on this. If this is you tonight and you're saying, you know what, I have severe gender dysphoria or I have it or my kids do or my friends do, listen to me. We will walk with you through it. Even if it takes years and years. I love what Andrew Walker says on this. This is really important. He says, how a person begins to accept and walk out their biological sex and God-given gender. I think that's important. And God-given gender is going to look different for different individuals. For some, there may be instantaneous acceptance. I have seen that. Where they come and just instantly God just speaks identity to them. And they are free And they're hidden in Christ and they're alive. I've seen that. For others, it may be long and painful and involve as many troughs as peaks. Accepting God's authority in our lives is easier than coming to grips with all the implications with that in our lives. Isn't that so true? What matters is the attitude of repentance, of Christ being ruler, not self. Actions will sooner or later flow from that. You see, we all need to come to him naked, just like Isaiah prophesied. Come to him and say, just show me who I am. You see, here's the good news that we have as the church. We see a community that's very hurt, and we will love and accept them without condition like Christ. But we also get to be the ones to speak beautiful hope, to say Jesus is the way and the truth that leads to life. Like, this is beautiful. There is this girl that I, I, had, I got a chance to pray with, and she, was, um, she would identify as transgender. And as I was praying with her, God gave me some really specific words for her. And I, I looked at her, and, and God was just speaking to me. He's just like, isn't she beautiful? And I said to her, I said, you are so beautiful. And she looked at me, and she just grinned ear to ear. Her face just lit up. And I said, like, has someone said that to you before? And she said, I don't think anyone's ever said that to me. Like, as the church, we get to be the ones that reveal identity. We're the ones that get to celebrate diversity within the genders. Am I right? To see girls that don't seem like they fit into a girl's body and celebrate the different ways that womanhood can look. And guys that feel like they don't fit as manly men and celebrate the fact that that can look so many different ways And just celebrate it. Our speech needs to lift them up. And mockery needs to exit this room. And even our our thoughts. See, we've been taught and trained from a young age, especially on the sports fields, that, that all these things look really specifically. And I think God wants to redeem that in each one of us. This is what I'm going to invite you to do, is that when we take communion, what we're doing is is we're coming up. And Jesus died. And he says, share that death with me. And when he came back to life, it was glorious spiritual life. And when we do baptism, that's what we're doing. And when we take communion, we're saying, I share your death. Where I self-identify who I am. This is not just gender. This is everything. Well, I'm laying down my life. I'm laying down everything. And I'm going to pick up your identity in me. Where I'm hidden in the love of Christ. It's beautiful. I'm going to invite you tonight to come forward and to just Die to yourself. Jesus said that you find life when you lose it. Come to him naked tonight.
and just say, like, show me, God, show me. Renew my mind. I want to take on your yoke that is easy. So let's pray. Father, God, I pray that each one of us in this room would be just a conduit of compassion, God. Lord, that so many people that feel this tremendous dysphoria, God, for no fault of their own, God would find understanding and compassion and community in this family. Father, we saw that in how you lived. God, you touched everybody that came to you without exception. Father, I pray that we would also be a place that, God, for each of us individually, that we, we just step into radical holiness, God. God, where we find our identity and our creator. God, I pray that you'd redeem our sexuality in this room, God. God, you made it so beautiful. God, I pray for the person in this room that feels uncomfortable in their skin, that you would just renew them right now, God, that you would give us just a spirit of beauty, God, that you pursue us. You call us your bride, your beloved. God, I pray that all those lies, God, would just be washed away, Holy Spirit. Do a work in our hearts, God. God, I pray that we would just find tremendous rest in you, Father. God, that we would find the wholeness of life that you promise in you, God. God, I pray that the church would be known, God, as the place for the needy and the hurting and the broken, God. You say that you're throwing a mighty feast and that you invited all the high and mighty and they never came, so it was all the hurting and lonely that showed up. God, I pray that that would be renewed in our time. God, that when people hear the name Jesus, they think, oh, the great physician, the lover of my soul.